Hey there, Quiet Rebel. So before we jump into today's episode, I want to ask you a quick question. Would you love to guest on a line podcast to expand your reach and grow your business by having me train your internal team to do that for you? If that's a yes, I would love for you to listen for the next minute or so as I share this exciting news that I've got the doors open for my Pitch With Purpose certification program. This is the first and last time I'll actually be running this live because I really wanted to create an opportunity where internal team members of growing business owners like yourself can actually have people trained in the skill set to do this for the long term and also have it all done internally so you will never have to rely on external agency to do this for you. Because here's the thing. In the trenches, when I pitched to 101 podcasts in 30 days, I've learned firsthand the real things that podcasters actually look for when they have pitches received and the kind of guests that they're looking for. And I've distilled all of that information in a way that can actually train your team to really learn these skills. They can do this on repeat for you inside of your own business. So if you'd like to learn more about that, I've got a link in the show notes for you. It's makeasang.com forward slash certification, where you can learn more exactly what your team member is going to learn so that you as CEO can feel assured that if they do learn these skills, that they are going to be for the long haul of your business and it's going to be in integrity and in line with your values. So Again, head on over to makeasang.com forward slash certification to learn more about that. And we do close the doors for applications on the 29th of July, 2021. So no more dilly-dallying if you're interested in this because the time will come much sooner than we think. So I hope to see your name come through on an application where we can have a chat to see if it's a good fit for you. But that's it for today's announcement. So thank you so much for listening and let's get back to the show. Hello, my lovelies. This is May K. Sang, your podcast guesting strategist and mentor, cat lover, and the proud host of the Quiet Rebels podcast. This is the place for experts on the rise who are finally ready to stop playing small and to start showing up as the leader they've always been. And contrary to what you might think, you don't have to be the loudest person in the room in order to be heard. You've always been the type to see things differently, and you've always chosen another pathway if the one laid out in front of you just doesn't align with your way of life. You're not alone in this. So to help you on your journey, I'm bringing conscious conversations to the table with myself and guest experts who will help you with the inner work that needs to be done in order to make a positive impact on the world with what you do. I see you. And now it's time to hear you, my friend. So please welcome to The Quiet Rebellion. Hello, my wonderful Quiet Rebels. I am super excited today because I actually have a friend on the show. Like, don't get me wrong. I do love my guests who come onto the show, but it's something extra special when I actually have a friend of mine who's also coming on because you know the conversations can be really good. (laughs) So I would say that this whole conversation is really about the rise of the introverts, especially when it comes to us as personal brands. And so I couldn't think of anyone better to come onto the show than my friend, Mike Kim. So Mike, welcome to the Quiet Rebels podcast. Okay, thank you for having me. Thank you for all who are tuning in. I hope to be of some value to everyone today. Oh, you you always do because like, back, backstory, uh, Mike and I, we actually met at an IRL conference called TCC IRL back in March, 2020. So we've been friends for a good year and a half. And you actually made quite the impact, um, you know, on everyone, in, in my opinion, not only were you the second speaker, but it's just like how you talked about personal branding. I remember your three questions about personal branding. And I'm not going to spoil them right now, because I'm sure you'll mention them at some point <laughs> um, during the interview. But yeah, I think, you're going to definitely deliver some value bombs today. <laughs> well, it's things that I've learned. And, you know, it's funny that we met at a conference because I used to hate going to conferences. I mean, Me this is before my <laughs> business life, you know, before my business life. I just hated it because I didn't want to be in a situation where I didn't know anyone. Uh, I didn't like doing small talk. I didn't think I was good at it. And, what I discovered is that if people have an idea of who you are before you go to the conference, it's much easier to enjoy the conference. And yes. there's like kind of a roundabout intro to the talk about, you know, to talking about branding or whatnot. Uh, I heard years ago 
someone asked, I think it was Jeff Bezos. You know how the internet is. They, they have all yeah. these you know stories and stuff, so you can't always verify. But he was asked, what is branding? And he apparently said, or somebody who answered this question said, branding is what they say about you when you're not in the room. Yes. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. But if I were to update it to today's version, like the to the 2021 and beyond version, it would be branding is what they know about you before you even get in the room. Mm. So that when you get in the room, it's much easier to talk to people and they know who you are. And we've been in situations like that, you and I, where people know you before you get to the event. And it's so much easier to get along and it takes away all this kind of crazy, like, you know, energy exertion from having to meet new people. So, um, yeah, there's a that was that was awesome that we met that way, and um, that's how I felt about events the last couple of years. Yeah, oh my goodness, it, it's true. Conferences are way more enjoyable when you actually kind of know what you're in for and who's there. <laughs> um, but it, I love this updated version of like you know it's what people know about you before you even get into the room. So I would love to know how you like why. Why is personal branding something that you love talking about and that you even wrote a book on? Like, how did your own personal branding journey start? I feel like with with this term branding, um, this this phrase personal branding has been on the rise, especially <laughs> over the last four or five years. It, it's seeped its way into corporate America. You know, I'm from the U.S. I was born here. Um, and by the time something reaches corporate America, you know it's been around for a while. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it's like okay, now it's going to become mainstream because they're never on the cutting edge of things, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's the they're always like five years behind. And um, when I look at branding, it's really just about identity. It's always been about identity, from the farmer who brands the livestock, you know, to doing my research for my book. Uh, you are the brand. I came across this gentleman from the 1700s, born in the UK. He was an English potter named Josiah Wedgwood. And he won a pottery competition hosted by Queen Charlotte. After he won, he brilliantly called all of his pottery Queensware. Ooh, that is pretty (laughs) Yeah, he became like kind of the first person in business to identify his product. And he actually pioneered the modern day practices of money back guarantees and free delivery, Jeff Bezos, you know, be damned. Right. Mm -hmm. And so this guy came up with this stuff first. And now we have this whole world of personal branding and I am an introvert. This is where I get my energy. Like I've trained myself to, to show up with energy in, in meetings and at conferences on stage behind microphones on webinars, you name it. But, at the heart of it, when we look at branding, it's really about identity. And that's why I'm so passionate about helping people with branding, because it's really helping them see their own identity. That isn't a life thing. That is mm-hmm. a much deeper thing than just how to make money or how to portray yourself on the internet. You know, and granted, we've been obsessed with how we present ourselves on the internet as long as the internet's been around. Yeah. Right. Okay. I I uh, I opened the book with this story, and I was searching for the right story to open the book with for for the whole time I wrote it, and I came up with this. I realized this story hit me the night before the manuscript was due, and I thought back to like, all right, people are obsessed with how they look online, and it got me down this rabbit trail. When did I first start using the internet? And I was in high school when the internet first came to use. Right, AOL, America Online. They had these CDs. Oh yeah, I had AOL as well with dial-up oh, internet. Yeah, dial-up internet. <laughs> yeah. And I remember, like, all my friends were into the instant messenger feature, right? Which Mm -hmm. is basically, for those of you listening, is a precursor to all the DM stuff Mm -hmm. that we have now on Facebook. That's all we had. Yeah, (laughs) all we had was the the messenger. And I was like, all right, the party's on instant messenger. I'm going to go meet my friends. I'm going to, you know, get started. This is where everyone's hanging out. And I was paralyzed, I remember, because I had to create a screen name. (laughs) (laughs) And you're laughing, I'm laughing. And like, we've all been there. We're like, okay, I I can't just put some lame screen name. I need a cool sounding screen name. So I created this, you know, long story short, staring at the screen for like 30 minutes or whatever. I came with a screen name and I was like, it's going to sound manly. It's going to sound cool. It's going to be a clever play on my name. Girls are going to like me because of it. And it was, (laughs) it was, it was Mikovich. Right. (laughs) 
my, my friends did exactly what you're doing. They all laughed. It totally backfired. They thought I was trying to sound like some Russian guy. They started saluting me whenever he saw each other at school. You know, the basketball could come, greetings, comrade Mikovich. And the worst <laughs> was, the, <laughs> the worst was there was this girl I liked. Okay. And I still remember her name. And uh, she just kind of chuckled and she was like, hey, I got a, I got another screen name for you. I was like, what? And she's like, Michael Bitch. Oh, like, that's so mean. Like that's so, with like young people are so mean. They are, you know. <laughs> but all I share all that because whether it's about again pottery or livestock or instant messenger names or Instagram podcasting these days, all the social media, it's really about helping people own their identity so that they can show up in a way that's confident. And that's why I love talking about branding. Mm. Oh, you know, I remember um, listening to that part um, in your audio version of your book, right? And I, as soon as you were talking about that, I started like looking back, like, what was my screen name? And I do remember mine. It was actually after a magazine, um, so it was probably like copyrighted and everything. But um, I always used the number eighteen because I was born on the eighteenth of May, so I always mm. put eighteen in a lot of my usernames, and it was Ms underscore 18 so m-i-z-z <laughs> and it was after the miss magazine because that was like a magazine that i i read a lot when i was little but oh god the cringe <laughs> it is the cringe but it's so funny because we see what we identify with and and you were at a time in your life when you were doing that and so was i where like we didn't really know who we were mm. and what i see a lot of parallels to is that now in this online business space that you and I are both in and have been in for a while, a lot of our clients, a lot of our followers, a lot of our listeners, a lot of people in our quote-unquote audience, they don't really know who they are yet. So they take after a certain expert or a guru. They kind of mimic and parrot what they say, which there's nothing wrong with, right? But then they get stuck there because mm -hmm. instead of being instead of becoming like They've made someone else's framework or identity their tree trunk rather than just yeah. being a branch. And um, I I don't want people to do that with me. I don't want some weird codependent like give mm. me I, give my life meaning kind of relationship with them as their coach. Like I'm like no, you go. I'll help you with what I've learned, but you go be you because that's what makes you different. I don't mm. want carbon copies of myself or yes. anyone else out there. And so the branding really comes down to owning your story, owning your identity, owning your passion. You know, a lot of people ask, what's a personal brand then? It's an identity made up of your ideas, your expertise, your reputation, and your personality. It's a mix of those four things. And own that and mm -hmm. go forth, you know. You know, the whole concept of identity is, is quite an existential thing, <laughs> you know. It's like, who am I really? Because like you said, it's kind of like that lifelong question we always go back to asking ourselves like when we're in different seasons of, of our lives. So how do we even go about starting to find out who we are? Oh, man. <laughs> You're throwing <laughs> me the existence questions here. Um, yeah, my gosh. I, I just turned 43 a few weeks ago. And when I look at who I am, at, who I was at 33 and 23 not even the same. I mean, even just back five years ago, not the same. And our lives are defined not by age necessarily, but by mm -hmm. seasons that we go through, right? Yeah. And yet it's a blend with your age because you only understand things, you know, a certain way after a bit of time or you understand things differently when you're younger. Um, but what I've found is, um, and I teach this in branding, I teach this in helping people kind of dig through, you know, their past and their identity. I continue to ask myself these three questions, and I call them the PB3, and you mentioned these questions before. Yes, um, I love them. Number one is, what pisses you off? And by that, I mean, what is the injustice that you see in the world? That's a very emotional word, injustice. Mm, but we, yeah. need, we need to tap into that because we have had the emotion and the self-expression beat out of us by life. Like that muscle has atrophied over time. Right. Number two is what breaks your heart. And that's the compassion you have for people or for a cause or for an initiative. The third question, if you're a business owner, is what is the big problem you're trying to solve? 
because business is nothing more than solving a problem for a profit. On the flip side, there are problems that are not profitable to solve, which is why we mm. have nonprofits. And if there are any nonprofits that maybe you and I are, are believe in, it's because they've answered the first two questions properly. We know the injustice they see in the world. We understand and connect with the compassion they have for at certain costs. So if you can infuse your marketing or your branding, if you will, with the answers to these three questions, really let them come from the core. It doesn't matter what season you're in. Actually, those questions will guide you in life. So when I have these existential convos with friends, I will ask them those questions, even though I use them in quote-unquote branding talks, because those answers change yeah. over time. You know, we're, we're not, the beauty about being a human being is that we're not a tree, we we can move, we can change. You know, I always I, I like to refer it like to it like this. We are like in a constant effort to try to nail down jello. <laughs> we are wobbly, <laughs> we are fluid. That's what human beings are. We are flu and you live long enough, what do you do? You rebel quietly, albeit for mm -hmm. people like us, against the things that try to hem you in. Like mm -hmm. a piece of jello, you know? Yeah. We want to move. We want to be flexible. We want to question things. And then we grow up around structures, whether culturally, you know, socially, ethnically, right? Religiously, politically, whatever. Whatever those hard and fast lines are, we try to bump up. We bump up against those things, right? Mm -hmm. So when I look at branding, and we, it is an existential thing. It is. There are a lot of easier ways to make money then off your ideas, your expertise, your reputation, and personality. But if you are one of the few who want to do that, um, have fun along the way, uh, but also realize it's going to make you your best self. Mm. I, I have to ask right now, you know, as, as where you stand, what are your answers right now to your three PV questions? Oh, that's so good. I, I can't <laughs> say I didn't see that coming necessarily. But, <laughs> we we um, like active um, application here. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> you know what's really pissing me off these the the injustice that I see in the world is that we have all these folks who have a lot and they've accomplished a lot, and we have this culture right now of this overly. It's it's kind of like, I don't want to, it's not toxic. I don't mean it like that. But there, it's like unrealistic or idealistic positivity. Mm. And it's not translating into actual change. Yeah. And I'm not articulating this well because you're the first person to ask me this. But this is exactly <laughs> what happens when I do this with clients, right? They just start to talk out loud. And so what I'm seeing is that we have a lot of entrepreneurs. We have a lot of people, you know, a lot of people on social media, influencers, experts, you name it, whatever it is. And this positivity has become the new religion of the world, right? Wellness, think about your best self. And it's made people actually less compassionate for people and their issues and their mess. And it's given us a wall to hide behind on our Instagram feeds. And so, you know what? I'm not actually going to get down in the dirt with people and help them. It's easier to just post something on Instagram. And just put out a message and not really put my money where my mouth is or not really, really do the hard work on myself of becoming who I say I'm becoming. Um, I'll open up a can of words here. You know, I, I grew up quite religious, you know, since I was in junior high school, you know, formative years, 12, 13 years old. And one of the things that made me buck up against those systems was that it was so much easier to to talk and sing about ideals and never actually do them. Mm. And that's what I'm starting to see in society as a whole. Now here in the U S it's incredibly divisive right now in the country. You know, it's like just people with the, the, the pandemic and politics and it's just crazy. It's just so black and white. It's so red, blue. And I'm like, where's the middle ground? Where are people who are going to truly help others? Like get in the dirt with people, uh, even in our industry, okay, like, People always boasting about these huge launches and this and that. And then when social issues happen, no one says anything. No one takes mm. a stand. They're afraid yeah. of speaking out. Yeah. You know, we had in the U.S. Um, several months ago, earlier in 2021, a horrific shooting in the Atlanta, Georgia area. And a bunch of Asian women were targeted. 
And I just couldn't believe it. I just, I was like, is anyone to say something in my circle? Mm-hmm. Is anyone to say something? Yeah. Like we have all this quote unquote influence and we don't use it for anything other than padding our bank account or padding our vanity metrics. And that just, that just ticks me off. So there's a lot there. And, um, what I have compassion for, what really breaks my heart is to see that the gap actually widens between the haves and the have nots. If we don't do something to fill that gap, the, the, the idea that regular people like you and I can create a podcast, can launch a business, can run an entire business from our laptop to be completely introverted, not have to go out and meet people face to face. It's freaking awesome. It is. And, and it's making a lot of us insulate mm. from what's actually going on in the world. And so I guess what I'm trying to figure out right now is how to do that with my business, how to use my business to bring awareness to certain issues and causes. Uh, I'm tying my book launch to a charity that I've supported for years called Love 146. Uh, they provide care for uh, victims of child trafficking taking out of, taken out of the sex trade all over the world. Just horrific. And the work they do is incredible. I've seen it firsthand. And I'm like, where are the causes that other people like me care about? How come no one's saying anything? How come the people who are at the top of the top don't say anything? Mm. You know, how come they're not talking more about that? Because we have the power to do it. And so that's kind of the answers to my questions, which were very different than eight years ago when all I cared about was leaving my day job. Mm. You know? Oh, gosh. Okay, so... <laughs> the the Atlanta shootings that happened earlier this year, the, that woke me up personally, and I think it's because it it felt so close to home, and and the rise of Asian hate crimes like around that time, it really really escalated, and suddenly it made me very aware of why I do what I do, so that really woke me up, and that. Mm. That showed me how, for example, um, there are a lot, not all, a lot of PR agencies that are rooted in white supremacy. And if you really think about it, paying them and they are still dictating where we show up based on what they they think we deserve, you know. So that's why, like, the solution that I'm bringing, um, when especially when it comes to podcast guesting, is that importance of, like, developing that skill so you can self-advocate. So you don't need an external source to say that you're good enough to be on X amount of podcast or X podcast, you know? And it's just like, oh, it's just just kind of hit home again, like as you were saying it. And there is a question I've never asked any guests, and I think you're a good person who can answer this question, especially because you already spoke about reputation. Do you, I'm curious about your thoughts because I have my own thoughts on this and I'm just curious about yours. I'm trying to ask this like in the most neutral way possible, but it's pretty much going to be a leading question. So. Yeah, okay, that's fine. <laughs> we know each other well enough that yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm game. Do you think um, the bigger someone's reputation is, the more afraid they are to damage it than, um, like they're more afraid of that having their reputation damaged than actually doing the good, even if it puts that at risk? Yeah, 1,000%. 1,000%. I've worked with some of the biggest names you know, in the business thought leadership space. And I'm not saying this about their cl- my, my past clients because a lot of people know who my clients are. But I have been in plenty of discussions even with them, with me as my, their marketing consultant or their brand strategist um, about, you know, what we talk about and what we don't. And if you do want to talk about this, this is what's going to happen. If we don't talk about this, that's what's going to happen. And it's it's, to me, it's a very binary choice. You know, at the end of it, all it comes down to is like, remember that red staples button, the easy button, you know, you just hit it and see yes or no. Everything ultimately is a multiple choice question between two choices. I mean, even our finances, all our computers run on ones and zeros and ones, right? Till this day, mm-hmm. it's just a, bi- it's just binary code. And I do think people are scared of it and the older or the more advanced or the you know the bigger they get whatever as time goes on the less people are willing to fight yes that's one thing i've noticed Mm -hmm. with my age with getting older i need to stay around young people (laughs) like i i do i i need to stay around 20 somethings who are hungry for life they are curious they have energy um 
I find myself running with and leaning on people who are younger to help me with my business, you know, with help me, helping me with design or branding or very practical things. Because I get around them and I start to see the world the, the way that they do, mm-hmm. right? And I feel like the more long you get in years in life, the less energy you have because the less you feel like anything can really change. And that's sad. Mm. You know, I'm like, okay, I mean, yeah, I'm in my 40s. And it's like, imagine I had a family. Like, I, 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 my friends have families, right? They're married or they have, you know, they at least have kids. And I'm like, hey, what pisses you off? What breaks your heart? What's the big problem you're Dude. I'm just trying to survive my kids, man. That I mean, they're just in survival mode. They're not in I want to change the world mode. Young people are in I want to change the world mode. And there are a few people who all of these years later, politicians, business leaders, you know, nonprofit leaders, whatnot, they are still in I want to change the world mode. But it's not as common as when you're in your late teens, 20s, when you've got your youth and that energy. Um, so... I just feel like it's important for us to realize that. I do feel that people do get more careful about that stuff. And it's unfortunate, but it's the, the, from what I've seen, it's true. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's just that that one line, it's like, oh, yeah, the bigger you get, the, the less willing you are to fight. And I'm like, oh, interesting. Um, so um, because I was speaking to our quiet rebels here, and I know that on some level, probably not all the time, but at some point we get to that point where we're like, but what can I do? And I'm curious like how you have leveraged the power of personal branding for your own business or your client's business or both um, that actually made them feel like they can run with that. I can change the world energy because hmm. we, we can often feel powerless with what we can do on our own. Um, so what would you say to anyone who feels like that? I'd say two things. Um, Number one, never underestimate what one piece of content can do. You just mentioned, uh, to me, it was a throwaway line that I wouldn't even remember. Like, not because it wasn't good, but I don't remember what I just said. But you were like, oh, that was a really good line. Like, and if you if you say enough, enough of those one-liners or those takeaways or those stories will be told and can really resonate with someone. Um, and that someone could go on to impact hundreds, thousands, millions of people, you never know. Um, The second is, I would say, don't underestimate the power of community, of doing it together. Uh, That's one thing, Meike, that I really learned from doing this book launch. People, I think, in my world, in our world, who know me, think that I have everything figured out and that I'm fearless and that I just go for the jugular and I'm just great at what I do. Of course, Mike would do this or that. That's not true. Um, And this whole experience, marketing, writing a book and then marketing the book has been almost as hard as writing the book because it has forced me to ask people for help. And I suck at Mm. that. Honestly, I suck (laughs) at it. And I think, I think, I don't want to generalize all introverts as being like that, but asking for help means that you have to talk to somebody. (laughs) So I'd rather not. (laughs) <laughs> I'd rather just like not do it, right? And so I've had to ask colleagues, people I haven't talked to in a couple of years, and I feel bad about not talking to them, and then I'm reaching out because I need some help. Uh, what do I do? And then I realized not everybody works the same way that I do. Mm-hmm. Not everybody feels like, quote unquote, a relationship means that we have to talk every single week. Yeah. I'm like, oh. And so when I asked certain people to endorse the book, I never got a single no. Everybody said yes. Some some well-known names in our industry were like, absolutely. Are you kidding me? Would you have me on your podcast? Absolutely. No problem at all. Come on. You know, and I realized I couldn't do this alone. And here's the, the I actually wrote this in my journal right before we, we got on today's call because, you know, I write in this journal in the daytime. And uh, one of the, you know, it's a, the five-minute journal and ask, you know, you to write a self-affirmation every day. And I wrote something along the lines of, I'm a leader. I'm uncomfortable with that, but I'm a leader. <laughs> and if I have to grow into that, well, God help me. You know, mm-hmm. and and it's, it's caused me to 
changed the way that I look at myself and the way that I think about myself. Because I don't, I think that's a self-worth piece, clearly. And I don't know if introverts tend to think of themselves less because they don't have all the characteristics or the charisma that everybody else seems to have. So we tend to discount ourselves um, wherever that is all coming from for me. But that's one thing that I'm working through. And that's something that I would encourage everyone listening with. Like if you stick together, have a few friends, it becomes much, much easier, right? Um, there was a one-liner I'll, I won't forget. It was actually a, I think it's a proverb, but some some client of mine said it once, and so I always attribute it to him, even though he didn't say it. Um, <laughs> but it was something along the lines of, if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. Oh, it's an African proverb. Yeah. I remember that. Yes. Mm-hmm. I've always stuck with that. Mm. Okay. There are so many things that I could ask you. Um, I, I absolutely resonate with your affirmation there. Like, oh, I'm a leader. Oh, I'm uncomfortable with that. <laughs> Um, would you mind sharing a bit why that makes you uncomfortable? I tend to look at what I'm doing wrong or my shortcomings first more than everything I'm doing right or well. Um, Mm. that's the honest, honest answer. Like there was a book years ago that I read called The Big Leap by a gentleman named Gay Hendricks. And he talks about this upper limit problem, yep. right? That you can do everything you want, but you're eventually going to hit some upper limit unless you work through a few things. And he said, I forget what the other three or four things were that caused people to bump up against their upper limit and not surpass it because I knew what mine was. And mine was, I feel I'm fundamentally flawed. Okay. I feel like there is fundamentally something wrong with me. And all of these years, I've been like kind of down this rabbit hole trying to search where in the world does that come from? And I think I've started to find out in some way or another. I think some stuff happened to me when I was a kid, like not good things, which totally makes sense why I would support subconsciously a charity that helps kids rescue out of the sex yeah. trade. Okay. Yeah. And like I, you know, I, I did some psychedelics under some supervision and like my body was speaking to me. I was like, Oh my gosh. Or like, Holy cow, this all makes sense. Cause my mom would tell me when you were really little, you were outgoing, you were talkative. You, you like, you love to come like when you're in four or five years old in front of me and my friends with this little plastic microphone and sing for everybody. I was like, who are you talking about? <laughs> That's not me. What are you mm-hmm. talking about? And so all my life, I've just lived. And then you heap some, uh, you, you heap a good dose of religion on top of that and Korean Asian shame on top. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> like, I'm not Korean, but Asian shame. Asian yeah, I shame, get that. <laughs> Asian shame, you know. Uh, you got a recipe for, uh, you know, a person who does not think very highly of themselves at all, not even at a base level. Right. And then you have this person, because we're all human beings, trying to find outlets for affirmation or acceptance or validation or just is plain old escapism. Mm-hmm. You do things you're not proud of. You do things that um, you think are wrong. And then, you know, at least for me, I'm like, well, that's a mortal sin against the divinity of the universe. Holy crap. Right. <laughs> That I mean, that's a lot to carry when you're a teenager or you're in your twenties. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's a lot. And you know, Mickey, it's interesting because I, when I was writing the book, uh, it was very hard to write the book. Um, but for different reasons, because people say, "Oh, you're a writer. It must have been so easy." Like, no, actually, I had to revisit a lot of very painful years. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, the book is really about those first seven years of my life when I transitioned out of that and started into this marketing business. And so, you know, I was married at the mm-hmm. time. Our marriage didn't make it. Like, there was a lot of emotions there, mm-hmm. right, when going through these stories. And I found a bunch of journals that I wrote in periodically between, like, my 20s until now. And I'm like, these are a gift from another time oh my gosh, I'm so glad I did these. This is why I'm so adamant about journaling now. Mm. I want to give my future self these gifts. 
-hmm. But I read through these journals and I was like, I feel so awful for this young man. Just beats himself up. He's like, I'm not doing good enough. You know, God's going to hate me. God hates me. I don't, I need to pray harder. I need to do these things. Like, good Uh Lord. I mean, talk about us like a masochist. (laughs) And so I feel like a lot of us introverts, especially, we get in our head and we have a lot of time to think. Yeah. And, Oddly enough, I've been on this kind of spiritual journey the last couple of years, uh, last four or five years, especially when my marriage kind of hit the wall of my mind is not me. I am not my thoughts. And for so long, I thought that because I'm an introvert. Mm. And I've started to realize my mind is not me. And I don't know what me or who me is yet. But there are things that I do nowadays in, in albeit more healthy ways to turn my mind off. Because as an introvert, this thing is always on. It's crazy. So exercise really helps me. I don't listen to audiobooks or tapes when I work out because it just keeps my mind. I just want to get into my body. Yep. There are things that I'm like massage, you know, like stretching, yoga, you know, uh, foam rolling, whatever it is. Walking outside, being in nature, um, we're not good at this in society, in unplugging to begin with, mm. and even worse for the introvert because our, our our engine's always running. Yeah, hundred percent. Oh my goodness! So I did not expect that to come from the the leadership question, but <laughs> no, thank you though for just that, just being open to sharing the the intimate thing that you had to come up against because. When I was actually listening to your book, um, I do remember thinking to myself, oh, my gosh, like these stories, for example, that you were sharing, like I do remember like, you know, the, the micro bitch at the beginning, <laughs> especially. And I just remember thinking to myself, oh, my goodness, like I have a, I have a lot of I put so much pressure on myself to write an Instagram post. I don't know how Mike managed to do it, like um, to do a whole book because of the amount of second guessing that can happen when you're reflecting on things that were painful in your past, things that you may have not completely gotten over. You didn't think about it for years until that point, but then you managed to like shift it into a teaching moment. It's like, Oh my gosh. So it's, I'm, I'm very interested in why you chose the name of your book to be, you are the brand, especially when you just said about, you know, not being able to switch off our minds. So what's your reasoning behind that? <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you the story. So I didn't get the title of the book until the night, the manuscript was due either. So um, the working title was my podcast, Brand You, right? And there are a lot of other things called Brand You. So uh, I'm actually thinking about changing the name of my podcast to You Are The Brand. I think it's more me. Mm. Um, but I was having a conversation uh, via text with my friend Jeff Goins. And if, if you guys don't know Jeff, anyone listening doesn't know Jeff, he's a spectacular writer, multiple-time best-selling writer, uh, author and it writes a lot of books on creativity and life, you know, work life. His, his most recent book uh, was Real Artists Don't Starve. And Jeff and I went through kind of these, you know, butterfly coming out of the cocoon seasons around the same time. And um, we were just texting back and forth. And he asked me a couple of questions, probably just out of his brilliance, wasn't really thinking about it, that, really stuck with me. And he said, um, how'd you learn all this stuff? Like everything you're writing in this, you're writing in this book, how did you learn that? And how'd you make it happen? Okay, that was like like someone flashed a, a neon billboard in front of me. That's it. That's those are the stories that I need to put into the book. This is how I need to frame it. So I I all nighter. Moving things around in the manuscript, right? And when I look now at the book and every story that's in the book, it was, this is how I learned this. Mm. How did you learn that branding and people want to look good on the internet? Yeah, because I tried to look good on the internet with some instant messenger screen name when I was in my (laughs) 20s. And it clicked. How'd you learn this stuff about like what picks you off, what pisses you off, what breaks your heart, what's the big problem you're trying to solve? It was because I had to like stay home, leave Thanksgiving and go to work when I was working my corporate job. How'd you learn about 
you know, positioning your business. Oh, it was that I remember I had this conversation with a, a successful businessman in Connecticut, and he told me that you always have to know who your competitors are. So as you're writing your Instagram posts or creating podcasts or anyone who's listening, you're creating content, just ask yourself two questions. How did I learn this? And how did I make this happen for myself? And I bet you the story engine will start turning. Oh. You'll be like, well, how did I learn that? You know, you put some quote online. You know, I have this whiteboard of stuff behind me, those of you who are watching on video. And there's this one line up there that says, don't let your mouth overload your back. Because <laughs> I say yes to everything, especially mm -hmm. this season. And I was like, wait, how did I learn that? <laughs> oh, I mean, next year, I guarantee you, I'll write a post about back last year when I was right doing my book launch, man, my mouth was getting my back into a lot of trouble. And <laughs> the story just comes out. So just ask yourself those two questions. Now with you or the brand, um, Jeff flat out said, dude, you could do a better title than that. I mean, we're close enough. I mean, we're just, you know, iron sharpening iron in that sense. Right. He's like, what would you want to like, what, what would you want to say to people? Like if you were like speaking from a stage and we're like, leading a war cry you know? <laughs> and that's how it that's how it hit i was like i would just tell them that they're the brand he's like yeah yeah they're the brand i was like yeah you're the brand that's how it came out <laughs> it's crazy and i had friends tell me you're not gonna get the title always right away it may change and i'm like i'm kind of a deadline person all through school i did everything last minute same. And I think it made me stop overthinking. That's why, because the introvert side in me overthinks things. And it just finally revealed itself, okay, if you will, the night before I sent in. So the two most pivotal things in the book, to me personally, were the title and the opening chapter of the book, the, the Mikovich story, <laughs> which I did not get till probably like two, three in the morning. And it was doing the inbox in my, uh, you know, for, for the publisher that morning. And after that, I felt, okay, I can still feel like I can make the book better. I still feel that way to this day. But like a painting, you have to know when to walk away mm. and say, this is it. I've got eight out of the 10 things I want to, to say in here, 80%. 90%, it's in here, ship. And that's that's how it came about. And that's what I start saying to a lot of people. And my mastermind groups, I run two mastermind groups. Um, they make fun of me a lot <laughs> in a good way because they're like, well, you are the brand. And, and they just start saying it to each other all the time. <laughs> it's they're celebrating with me. And I, I found the one message that I want to say to people in this season of my career. You're the brand. Oh, I love those last minute moments and something just finally clicks in that magic hour when you kind of need it the most. And, you know, if you're writing at 2 or 3 a.m., like I'm I'm a night owl, so that's actually quite common for me. But like, oh gosh, when you kind of like, you don't need, you don't have time to worry about anything else. And I think that's also the reason why I'm also a last minute person. I have done trainings and I've put together like speeches for an event literally just before I'm about to go on stage and it's like oh yeah that's fine <laughs> and it just happens because like you said like you don't have room to think more and I think there's something called Parkinson's law where um however much time you give is is the exact amount of time that it's going to take for something to work or like for something to happen and we just we just like limit our time window basically don't we <laughs> yeah 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 it's true it's so true <sighs> okay Final question before we start wrapping up here. And um, I, I think it's still to do with the title of your book. Um, so you shared with us like how it came about. And I'm curious for anyone who's listening here who really wants to separate who they are and what their business is. Like, what would you say to that? Do you think it's important for it to intertwine and for them to be the living embodiment of their work, to be their brand? Or do you think there's also room for that separation so um, that they don't kind of, that their business isn't their only identity, if that makes sense? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that if you're in this kind of thought leadership space, the line becomes much more blurry. Mm. 
if you're selling Q-tips or making pizza or selling cars, don't really, you can get away with not being the brand, right? Um, I have a friend in the DC area and he owns three or four car dealerships. Very successful, makes a lot of money. Nobody knows who he is and he doesn't care. Now he has to grind in a different way. He's got to keep all his salespeople happy and all the problem he's trying to solve is very, very clear. He doesn't as much need the messaging of what pisses me off and what breaks my heart. Now, the great car dealership empires, they do do that. They do use personal branding. Actually, when I used to live in uh, the New York City area, which is where I live most of my life, I heard on the radio uh, this guy who ran a, a multiple car, car dealerships. He was a former football player for the New York Giants, not a very good one. <laughs> but he just owned that identity and he was the one doing all the radio spots. He was doing all the, he's like, come down, we're going to take care of you. You know, and he really led with that, but you can get away with not doing that. If you have a very widgetized business, very physical product oriented business or something that doesn't really focus on enhancing life, if that makes sense. Um, let me get a give an example sort of in the medium, and then we'll talk about folks who really have to lead with it. Sarah Blakely, Spanx. Insanely popular clothing line. And yet everyone knows who she is. She's used her personal brand as a woman, as a woman who found these clothes don't fit. And she owned the marketing for her company. She's almost as big as her company is in terms of public perception. Most people know who she is, who buy her product. But I think that really was important for her because her story of being a woman, finding clothes don't fit, you know, figuring out what worked for her, so many women can identify with. And it's about image and it's about their 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 own self-worth and it's, they're feeling comfortable in their own skin. It's making their life better. People feel better when they wear her clothes. And so I think that that was important there. If she just launched another clothing line, she'd be like champion, you know, those you know sweaters with a little C and have to wait until that icon, that logo, like Nike or champion or the, you know, the Lacoste alligator took decades, even in some cases, centuries for those brands to build up. She sped up the process because she used her personal brand. Now, you look at folks like us who are sharing our thoughts, sharing our expertise, doing it through the lens of our personality, sharing our ideas. There are a lot of folks who teach what I teach to some degree or another, and yet someone will like me more than that person or vice versa. So it's not really about the expertise, and it's not really about the ideas. It's about our personalities. And so I think that if you're in this creator space, there definitely does need to be some sort of intertwining there. Otherwise, we just end up sort of like college professors who are just publishing material, and we're just known for the material. I think that was possible 10-plus years ago, but now it's not. Because here's what I'm seeing, the trends. As a brand strategist, I'm always paying attention to these things. These authors of famous books published 10 plus years ago, guess what they're all doing now? Podcasting. Guess what they're doing now? They're all on Instagram. They're all on Twitter. Um, I look at um, Bob Berg, who wrote The Go-Giver, started a podcast. The aforementioned Gay Hendricks, who wrote The Big Leap, podcasting, YouTubing his his eyes out, you know? <laughs> um, all of these, these folks... Uh, even Robert Cialdini, who was a professor, you know, out in Arizona, wrote um, Influence, which is a, a psychology book that marketers jacked yep. <laughs> to teach marketing psychology. And he's writing book after book because his book, I think, Influence is over 30 years old. Is it? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's over 30 years old. And he never intended it for be to, to be used for business or marketing. He was just teaching the general public how to not be played 
by yeah. these powers of influence and marketers reverse engineered it. Mm. Now, Dr. Cialdini's speaking everywhere. I had the chance to meet him through a client when I was working with the John Maxwell team and they brought him in to speak about marketing to this huge conference of 3,000 people. So all of these guys, even though they had great content, expertise and ideas, are bringing that now in in 2021 and beyond and becoming a personal brand. They're grandfathering their personal brand into their past famous work. Mm. I'm seeing this all over the place. And so, no, I don't think it's possible if you're in this space to differentiate the two. There's some degree that people need to know who you are. Um, Make it, you're much better at Instagram than I am. And oh, uh, I've, <laughs> I think so. But I have noticed in my own Instagram feed and in others that I help, you know, on occasion, the posts that always get the most engagement is when they see your face. I get the most likes for sure. When when you're, when you're in the posts, when people recognize you and I'll close with this story, cause I have to tell this, I don't even know if I ever <laughs> told you this. this is hilarious. So probably about four or five years ago when I started really um, running Facebook ads, mm-hmm. I hired my friend Jason Clement. He's brilliant. He did my book. He did the whole interior design of the book, the cover, all the whole deal. Uh, I hired him to create some Facebook ads for me, the creative, you know, the designs. And back then on Facebook ads, you weren't allowed to have more than a certain amount of text on the actual image. They, yes. they were very strict with how much, you know, text you could put on the image. And I didn't run the ads. I hired someone else to run the ads because I don't know how to do that stuff. So I send her the the creative work that Jason's done and she ships and publishes the ads and gets the all, you know, audiences and all that stuff dialed in. And she calls me sometime later, you know, maybe a week later we checked in and uh, she's like, Mike, I made a mistake on the ads. I'm like, Oh no, what happened? She's like, I ran the ads, but I forgot to upload one of Jason's designs into the ad set. I was like, so what happened? She's like, it pulled a random headshot of you from your website <laughs> onto the ad. And it was it was a really bad head. It was my headshot, but it was a circle image. Uh-huh. So, you know, it just cut off the top and bottom of my face and it had like half a moon circle around me and then the black borders, right? Oh, gosh. And then I was like, oh my, okay, well, what happened? It's like, you know, if the other ads are doing well, she goes, Mike, that ad outperformed all the other creative that Jason <laughs> made by like three times over. You got three times as many opt-ins. And we just had this hilarious, like, we just were laughing. And I was like, what? Well, how in the world did that happen? She's like, I think people just recognize your headshot. So they just clicked on the ad. And I just started joking. I was like, looks like I got a million dollar face, girl. <laughs> we're like high-fiving each other over Zoom. And I, sh- I share that story in the book, Right. And it's it's funny because we spend so much time on this ad creative and the perfect post and the epic scenery in our photos and stuff like that. And it's your headshot is your best logo in this space. Your headshot's your best logo. So put it in your stuff. And you'll, you'll people will see you over and over and over and over again. And that's really what they resonate with. And somebody was like, oh, I don't like showing my face. I didn't either. I don't like being on video. I wish you could see some of the early videos that I shot. They're horrific. <laughs> but I was I said to myself, you know, if this is who I need to become in order to really serve the people I want to serve, if I need to get more comfortable being on video, um I'm going to I'm going to do it. It's going to challenge me to be a better version of myself. I will learn to do it. If me serving people means that I have to become better at networking and more social at you know, these conferences that I'm going to do it. If me serving more people and helping them really find their identity means that I have to hunker down and write this freaking book, like I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it so that I can also be true to myself. Cause I know I carry something inside of me that can help a few people where it goes from there. I don't know, but I'm going to do my part to sow the seed. And so that's, that's really a long winded answer, but that's really where all that stems from. I feel like I'm watching you like on stage again, <laughs> like because I was actually in the front row of that conference because I, I'm the I am the person who will run to the front <laughs> to get that front stage. 
interesting and oh gosh you do have a way with words and I'm sure your experience obviously helps with that but what I've really I've always and always will admire about you is that there's no bells and whistles to what you do you're just very upfront with what you want to talk about and you come from a true place of service and at the beginning of this um, interview you said oh I hope I can drop some value and I know that we have because I <laughs> I absolutely have and there are some really deep reflective questions that we can always go back to so I just want to say thank you first and foremost for just coming to us today to talk about how we can be the brand especially as introverts so thank you Thank you, Maykay, and thank you all for tuning in. And uh, just from one introvert to another and to many who are tuning in, just never stop like on this quest of becoming comfortable in your own skin. Mm. Um, we always bump up against fear and anxiety and things like that. And what I realize is that like the action is what cures the fear. You know, just got to do it. And I find that I continually put myself in situations where I have to do that because I it's I guess it's just make it's just my way of last minuting everything. Yes. <laughs> I, it, yeah, it just works right. So thank you for having me. It was an honor to be here. You're very welcome. So for those who want to learn more about you, and even if you say you're not so great on Instagram, I think you're great on Instagram. <laughs> and I'm not just saying that just to toot your horn because I don't just say things for the sake of it. Um, but where can people find you and maybe learn more about your book as well? Yeah, so the book is available on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, everywhere um, right now. Uh, you can go to You Are the Brand book. That will give you a kind of synopsis of the book. You'll see chapters there, the table contest. You could read chapter one there for free. Uh, Amazon only gives you like five pages so <laughs> to read for free. So you can read uh, the entire first chapter at youarethebrandbook.com, and we'll have all the links to grab um, the book there, whichever platform you prefer. And if personal branding and business, building a business around your own expertise is something that you want to do, uh, check out my podcast. Make has been on it. It was one of the most popular episodes of the year. Oh. Um, it wow. really was, you know. And um, it's called the Brand You Podcast for now. I may change it to You Are the Brand at some point. Um, but just look up my name, Mike Kim, and that podcast will show up. And give me a try for a few episodes. And if you like it, stay subscribed. Um, it's really all about sharing your ideas and your expertise with the world. Awesome. Thank you so, so much, Mike. So before I let you go, I've got two final questions. And they're a little bit more, um, well, I've already given you a heads up, so you know what they are. <laughs> the I've already forgot. <laughs> so that's the thing. <laughs> So this is good. It's gonna be. It's gonna be in the moment. Good. Let's just keep you on your toes, shall we? So, first question is, what makes you a quiet rebel? Oh man. Okay. All right. I am. Um, I'm gonna go personality test here. Okay. So the I, I never get the name right. Either, either Myers Briggs or Briggs Meyer. I don't Myers Briggs. Yeah. Order. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm an INTJ. And um, basically, INTJs, when I read this assessment years ago, I just started laughing because it's totally me. And INT, INTJs apparently aren't really leaders by choice. They don't necessarily want to be number one. They're great number two people. But if they think their boss is an idiot, <laughs> they want to take over. They want to take over, right? And, uh, or they just, they just know the way things should be because it's just how we process things. Right. And I found that at every job I was in, almost every job that I was in, except one where I didn't really agree with the work that I was doing, which is why I got out. Uh, I was like, our leaders don't know what they're doing. So I had all these thoughts, but nowhere to share them. And I didn't want to pick a fight for the sake of it. Well, now we have this great thing called the internet where you can mm -hmm. share what you think all the time. Mm -hmm. And uh, talk about why people are doing things the right way or the wrong way in your opinion, and you can share them. And so I think what made me a quiet rebel was that I have always had an opinion, had a point of view about certain things, but I never even cared to give it voice because I didn't think it would make a difference or it would go anywhere, or I just didn't think it would be worth the effort in trying to change an organization mm. that had been around for years and years. It was kind of just like pushing glue up a hill. Like, what's the point? And I think a lot of us feel that way. What's the point? Well, when I got into my own business, I realized there's no one leading this thing except for me. 
So I've got to become a better person. You know, you are the brand, right? And uh, I think I've always seen things a certain way. It's like, that's not working. They don't realize this is not working. The status quo isn't working. So I've always had a strong point of view that was often contrarian. Mm. And only recently since I've become, you know, more of an online based person, have I found the the vehicle to express it. Oh, I love that. And I so resonate with you. Um, I think I'm an INFP. And um, what you said about the the ones who actually don't necessarily want to be leaders. I took a quiz um, from one of my mentors. And my result was accidental leader, meaning that you didn't intend on it, but it's because of the points of view that you have that they really ask why things are the way they are. Like when something has been normalized, I'm like, but why though? Who gets to say that? Exactly. <laughs> you know? yeah, and yeah. that like, you know, we have many definitions of the quiet rebels um, because like I ask every guest, like what makes them a quiet rebel? And the answer is always different, but there's something that we all have in common is the fact that we just see a different way and we just challenge it and we just see what can be done. And it's not necessarily to say and point fingers that what's already done is wrong, but it's like, mm, but it's not right for us. So let's just try a different way <laughs> and see what happens. Um, I love that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. And as if you haven't said enough stories already, I'm always like ready for more stories here. So my final question to you is, Quiet, Rebel, Quiet Rebels, you know what's happening. If you hear the sound, it means it's time to ask our guest of the day this question. Then Mike, <laughs> what is one weird fact or a fun story about you that no one else knows on the internet? Now you've already used a lot of stories in your book, so you can't reuse any in there. <laughs> Is there anything that comes to mind? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think one thing I have, uh, this is the perfect place to share this, is that when I've gone to certain conferences or events, public you know, gatherings, I've pretended that I'm talking on the phone to avoid making, making small talk with people. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm pretty sure I'm not the only person to do that. And it's even better because nowadays you can just wear AirPods. Yep. Yeah, I was you know, just about just, to say that. Oh, I do my like Yeah, pretend like you're mouthing off to somebody or, you know, you just point to your ears and give them that little squint. Like, I'm on the phone, you know, <laughs> I'm on a call. Meanwhile, I'm walking through the room trying to scour the scene, you know. Um, and I hope this isn't too much TMI either. But like when I'm in these big settings, I go to the bathroom like 50 times a night. Oh, wow. And I think it's like my way of trying to get away from the crowd and just find a moment of solitude. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you just mentioned normalizing things. Like, I just want to normalize that for all of I mean, this is hard work sometimes. It just drains me like nothing else. Those kind of environments really, really drain me. Like, I love my nephews. When they come over, I mean, they are just energy vacuums. <laughs> you know? And I'm never as tired as I am after I play with them. And I love playing with them. And I'm also insanely tired. Mm -hmm. And I've had to learn things about myself on how to find those kind of boundaries. I don't share Airbnbs with my friends anymore or certain friends because mm -hmm. they're very social. They want to hang out in the living room all the time. And they're loud. And, and I'm like, I'm going to go get a hotel. Yeah. Like it's just finding ways to find space. So those are some of my little secret tri tricks. And I guarantee I've never told anyone I go to the bathroom 50 times a night at a conference. Now next time you and I see each other at a live event, you'll be like, yeah, he's, if we can't find yeah. him here, he's probably in the men's room. And be waiting outside that. So which yeah. time out 50 with this mic? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's like I'm on number 32. It's getting really busy in here. Yeah. Oh goodness. Yeah, no, there's some pretty classic um ways to kind of like escape the crowd. I do the exact same thing. I do go to the bathroom quite a lot, not necessarily to go, but just to be in a place that's a little less hypey. And um, mm -hmm. I always share a room with my friend who's also a very she's much more introverted than I am. And that works so well because like we can just be in the same room and not talk and it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it's great. So Thank you for sharing both your stories and for all the value that you've dropped today. I so, so appreciate you. So for anyone who's still listening to at this point, for all the links to connect with Mike, um, you can go to the show notes below. And um, yeah, hope you can also pick up the book as well. So Mike, thank you again.
Thank you. It was my pleasure. My pleasure. And so, my lovely, there we have it. So everything that we mentioned in today's interview will be popped into the show notes. So be sure to head for that link. And if you haven't done so already, I would so love it if you could subscribe to this podcast because that way you don't miss a single episode and another conscious conversation. And of course, if you feel cool to, I would so appreciate it if you could leave a rating and review because that really helps other quiet ripples find us. Ah, oh my goodness. Okay, another great episode. And so I will be back same place, same time next week for another episode of the Quiet Rebels podcast. So until then, my lovely, do take care and bye for now.